Hey, welcome to Creative Reset, the podcast that explores... Oh, wait, hold on. Welcome to Creative Reset, the podcast that looks at the creative journey to help us understand our obstacles and how to go over, around, under, or right through them. A quick note before we start, if you enjoy listening to the wonderfully creative people like Richard we have on the show, please subscribe, rate, and tell two people about it. So this week I am talking with Richard Hellinga. That's correct. Good. All right. Author of Chicago Time which is now, I, I will tell you, my favorite title in the world. <laughs> I love it. I want to live in Chicago time. So we're meeting for the first time. It's nice to meet you. Yep, nice to meet you too. I'd ask you how the city was doing, but you've absconded. Right. That's the funny thing. So yes, the only book I've published is set in Chicago, and I haven't lived in Chicago in over 20 years. Oh, I figured you were there when you were writing it. I know, no, I, I actually wrote parts of it in LA and then here in Michigan, where we moved back in 2006 when my wife got a job at Michigan State. So yeah, so we moved after living in Los Angeles. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. I, I call it six years of a weather vacation. <laughs> you don't get that anymore. No, 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 no. Not in the Midwest. Not in the Midwest. No, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> Even we're joking, like, you know, that March, it's like where it's technically spring, March and April really just kind of are teasing you. Like, here, here's a day that's 70 and here's some snow. Yeah, you know, it's the same way here in Pennsylvania, although this spring has been pretty good. It's been pretty right. mild. So, which, I don't know, makes me a little nervous about what the summer might look like, but we'll, we'll right. see what we'll see what happens. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Let's see. Well, I grew up in a town called North Lake, just outside of Chicago. Let's see, went to... Northern Illinois University for undergrad for a bit. And then I transferred to Elmhurst College, which is a small liberal arts college, actually closer to closer to Chicago. Northern Illinois University is out in DeKalb, which I think at this point is still separate from the greater Chicago area. But I mean, I, I've seen how Chicago has grown. The suburbs have kind of spread out pretty far west, much farther than they were when I was a kid. And then I, Elmhurst College, for that's where I finished up college, where I got a degree in English literature. Oh, okay. Okay. After tra after a changing major several times from math to political science, back to math. And then I finally just decided, you know what? I really love to read and I, math is interesting, but I really don't want to do that the rest of my life. And yeah, I yeah. said, it, it's interesting. I said, because I remember when I was applying to writing programs, which is one of the reasons my wife and I moved to LA and I had to, you know, you have to do a personal statement and, and made me really think about, well, why am I doing this? Why am I going to grad school? What is it I hope to get out of a writing program? What do I want? And why am I doing this? Why am I going to, you know, go with my wife to uproot ourselves and move cross country? And at the time we didn't know where we we're going to end up. And we were both applying to graduate programs that were she, her in sociology, me for creative writing. And we're hoping that we could get in the same geographic area. And luckily, we both got into USC, and it happened to be both programs that we were both excited about. And But I remember realizing when I was doing my application, I thought, you know what, whatever happens, like if I get into none of these programs, or I get into this program, and I become a writer, or I don't have any success, I realized I was going to do this the rest of my life. Like, And it was a stunning kind of thing. And I remember it was one of the, you know, 
like I did all my writing, you know, I was doing my applications in the morning before I went to my day job. And I remember it that, that morning thinking, I'm going to do this the rest of my life, regardless of whatever success I have. Right. I love it too much. And it feels too much a part of me. And I, I get too much joy from it. Even if I'm frustrated over, oh, I can't figure out what, how, how these pieces in this story or whatever are going to work, you know, it still feels, I don't know what I would do without it. I think that's a good feeling to have actually. Yeah, there, and it made me think of there's this passage in A.S. Byatt's Possession. I don't know if you're familiar with this book. Mm-mm. Really brilliant. I remember reading it, but there's this passage about how she, the one character um, writes the way a spider, you know, fashions a net, because that's what they do. They'll always just spin it out. Right. That's their purpose. And it's just this lovely analogy and and i always remember it now i've got of course i'm gonna have to go back i'm not gonna be able to find it here (laughs) but i always thought about that you know that is just it's what the spider does because that is who they are that is what they are and i think for artists regardless of whatever what kind of success you have you know it is what you do yeah, this is audio, but I do want I do want to point out to to people that I'm I'm looking at you and behind you there is a massive collection of books. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes indeed. And not only so not I mean you've got the you've got the you've got the bookshelves there and not mm-hmm. only are there books there but there are books in front of the books. I noticed. Yeah. I keep running out of space. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and then I try to get rid of them and I'm like, oh, but I'm going to read that one again. Oh, I, I really want to read, you know, it, it's hard. I find it hard to get to give up books most of the time. I mean, it, it takes a lot. I don't know. Yeah, I'm the same way. And, and, and now with, you know, Kindle and stuff like that, I've got a secret stash of books <laughs> <laughs> that nobody knows about. <laughs> right. Right. Because, well, that, that if you can use like the Gutenberg Project and other places, you can get, especially the classic books, right? The, the ones that are out of copyright, you yep. can then kind of get a few more there. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I, have, I don't have a Kindle. I've got a Kobo. I had a Sony reader that died on me finally. I want to talk about Kobo in a, in, in a second. But, sure. but let's, uh, let's, so you published Chicago Time in 2012, yes? That's correct, yes. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the, about the book? It is an offbeat romance set in Chicago, where Chicago is itself kind of a character. I had been thinking about, you know, I had talked with a friend about these people. People always ask you, like, you know, how did you meet your wife? How did you meet your girlfriend? How did you meet your boyfriend? How did, you know, how did this go? And everybody, you know, it always seems like these stories and even in movies, right, with romantic comedies, it's the everything just fell into place. And the place I know the best, probably out of any place in the world still is, is Chicago, having grown up there, spent the first 30 years of my life in and around the city. And I thought, well, what would things going perfectly well look like in a city like Chicago? And I thought, (laughs) well, wouldn't it be interesting if the politicians went on strike? (laughs) And that's what happened. There's a whole silly way that that happens. And then after that happens, you know, things start to run like the L runs on time. The buses run on time. You know, they don't get, there's a joke in Chicago where people used to say when I lived there was that, what do, what do wolves and uh, the Clark Street bus have in common? They both travel in packs. Because you, <laughs> yes, you'd wait, and it's always it's always in winter when you're freezing your butt off, and you're standing at the you know the bus stop, and you know you see buses coming from the other direction, and you wait, and you wait, you see two, three go by, and then when finally when a bus comes, there's two behind it. Yep. You know, and just ah. So I thought it would be fun, and then the weather turns great, which of course in the Midwest, as we were joking about earlier, is 
is volatile uh, at times, to say the least. And so, it, you know, kind of the city, in, in a way, kind of multiple butterfly effects puts Robert and Elise together. <laughs> okay. And it keeps pushing them together because neither of them really actually wants to be in a long-term relationship because of particular things that are happening in their life. I mean, not giving anything away, they end up together in the end. But okay. there is a whole lot of different, I think, funny satirical things that happen along the way. Okay. Um, was, as I was looking through it, I saw the thing about the strike and I was thinking about the council wars and I'm like, did they actually do them? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, did I miss something? I they... remember, I mean, it was called Beirut on the Lake for good reason. I mean, there was a lot of fighting, a lot of gridlock between, you know, mostly white city council and a black mayor. And yep. he didn't have, he didn't have all the votes. And so there are eerie parallels. I look back Politics in Chicago is very in your face. It's very, it is a contact sport. And I think it, it's funny because it, so when I looked at, you know, you look at the Obama years in the White House, it's hard to not see par certain parallels. I mean, it's very different. You know, like they say, history doesn't repeat itself. It does kind of rhyme though. And so, you know, after he, those first two years, he didn't have control, you know, the Democrats didn't have control of the House. There was a lot that did not get done right. <laughs> in yep. Chicago for those years. It was, it was mean and nasty. Now, did the did the, the coffee shop exist? The coffee shop? It was based on, what did I name it? I can't remember what I named but it was based off of a place called Paris Pastries. Okay. It was there. And I used to stop there. It was right there by the L. And sometimes I'd stop there in the morning, get a snack before I'd before heading, heading to work. Okay. So I did. I did live in the Ravenswood neighborhood. I loved that neighborhood. And so in some ways, it was my way, especially having lived in LA for so long and then living here in Michigan, it was kind of like my own way of reliving, you know, in a very idealized way, that time living in, in that part of the, of the city. So yeah, I really, my wife and I really loved living in that neighborhood. And we really loved living in the city. Yeah, there was a, it, it reminded me, was that, as I was looking at it, it reminded me of a Viennese cafe that I went to quite a bit. I'm trying to remember exactly where it was. On, on Clark, I think it was on Clark in, I'm blanking on the neighborhood. I can't remember the neighborhood. That closed, as, it closed kind of surprisingly as well. I wonder if it's the, you know, I wonder if it's the same place. It's not, but it's so, it's, it's interesting how there are these places in Chicago that, I don't know, that it reminded me of. I, it, it transported me back there and, and okay. it reminded yeah. me of places that I went I mean, to. There were definitely, and also too, it was a way to write, capture the way the neighborhood was when we lived there because it had changed. And it, I mean, and, and now I know it's changed just drastically, you know, yep. in two decades and, you know, the city keeps changing. I mean, like, like all cities do. But I think we always feel some kind of, especially if there's a, if it happens in a place at a time in your life where there's a lot of intense intensity in, in, in your life, you know, I think those things, it's hard not to feel nostalgic about it. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, personally, I feel always nostalgic about coffee shops. So, and cafes. So that's, you know, yeah. I get that. Yeah. I get that. Andersonville. It was an Andersonville. Okay. Yes. It was, was the, it was Viennese something or another. And I can't remember what it was, but yeah, I used to go there all the time. That's another great neighborhood too. Yep. So how long did it take you to write this? The first idea started coming to me. I've been working on another project and I had this, and I, I didn't know what to make of it at the time, but I had all the disparate pieces and I was writing them down probably 2005. It took me a long time and I was still working on, so I, I just, just, and I, I would just jot down ideas as I do in my journals, even if I'm heavily working on something else. And at the time I was working on something that I thought was going to be the first novel that I would publish. And I kept reworking it and reworking it. And I would take these little breaks and I'd, 
I'd go back and I would, you know, look at these ideas that kept cropping up about this kind of, you know, dealing with kind of making fun of Chicago and make, make, taking some of the mythology and playing with it with this essentially a romantic comedy. But I have it to be a little offbeat, to be just a little off center. And, and after a while, when did I, I'm trying to think when I was actually working on it, like just full bore, it probably wasn't until two, late 2008 when I went at it full bore, when I had enough pieces that it started to, in my head, like, okay, this is starting to gel into something bigger or that, or that it's starting to fall. The pieces are, I can see how they might be connected. So probably and, some from conception, seven years, but probably about, about three and a half to four years of like of constant of, of work and at that point too and keep in mind too when I was in Michigan when I first moved to Michigan I was a stay-at-home parent so I had to work around one small child and then in 2008 we had our second child so two yeah, small children two small children <laughs> and it it is exponential it's, it's a geometric progression it's not uh, it's not one plus one it feels like feels like four <laughs> So I get now. <laughs> it always seemed like someone always needed something, even when one was napping or one was at, you know, preschool. <laughs> you might get an hour, <laughs> but yeah. All right. So so let's so let's talk about that a little bit. Your your process, since it took a lot while, but once you once you started actually working on this as a novel and you had the two children, you're trying to work around that. What was that process like? early mornings and I'm st I still do that to this day I mean I usually get up um five five thirty in the morning you know have breakfast coffee and write I mean that's that's because it's it's the quietest time <laughs> I can usually get and uh, you know a couple hours in before I have to do whatever else I need to do you know at the time was taking care of kids small 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 children now it's before I, because of COVID, before I go do my day job, before I log <laughs> on to my work computer. <laughs> now, do you, do you have a dedicated space for work versus the, the writing? It's blurring. <laughs> you know, it, I, a lot of times I'll just work at, at the kitchen table or the dining room table while I'm eating breakfast. And other times now I work, I can, I, you know, I can still work in what you see behind me. Okay. This this is the all the books this is what we call the the study slash uh guest bedroom there's another bed <laughs> that you can't see off camera that i won't show you because there's a pile of not yet folded laundry so but the tape the desk i'm working on well you know i'll work on this here you know to i'll do my own write my own my own writing and then okay. i switch on to work okay all right. Do you now your day job? Do you do you want to talk about that a little bit? I can. I work for. I've done a variety of things. This I work for a large utility in the Midwest, writing mostly policy, policies and procedures, focused on worker safety. It's been an interesting experience because most of my work as a technical writer before this was all in computer software. You know, documenting how you know just variety of computer software, whether that's for everything from collecting data for medical studies to consumer products to building controls. And what well, do, do you write manuals as well? Yeah, well, well mostly you write the manuals. I, I, I can never understand manuals anymore. Nothing, nothing even printed anymore. Oh, I mean, okay, it's okay. all online now. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. Okay. Okay. It's, I was gonna. I was gonna. I was gonna tease you for writing all the manuals that I can't understand. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of them, unfortunately. And work. It's funny because one of my jobs work was working for a consumer electronics. It was really interesting because it was a company that would actually spend the money putting us uh, behind a two-way mirror for eight hours a day at times. 
to watch people, you know, regular people try to follow the instructions that they gave them using the product, you know, and use the product. And it, it's great because if you, it will blow out whatever assumptions you have about how people interact with technology. You know, because for, for people like myself who work with technology all the time, we've, I've been working with technology, you know, since, since I graduated, you know, college and working as a technical writer, there's things you just take for, event, take for granted that right. so many people you don't realize don't even I think know that could be a reality show, actually. Yeah. I <laughs> I would think there'd be an entertainment value to watching people try to work oh, through a manual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that pays the bills. I mean, it's, it, I mean, it, the, the writing itself is not very exciting at all. But it's, it, what, what's interesting is that I, I'm essentially paid to learn, whether it's, you know, with the different ways workers, you know, do things for a utility or ooh, the, this cool new technology that, that's coming out. I also read on your on your bio that that you've traveled a bit. You've been to Istanbul, for example. How has that influenced you? That will, I think, especially as an American, <laughs> it will help you see things that are very American. Just as if you live somewhere else. I mean, I don't know if you where you're from originally. I mean, you say you you, know, you live in Pennsylvania, but like, you know, living in LA was a very different experience. And living in the Midwest and Chicago, I mean, you, yes, it's the United States, but it's very different. But especially a country like Istanbul, where we were there, my wife had a, a fellowship, and we were very fortunate. We lived there, rented out the house, packed up the two kids, which was also very interesting. But you find out a lot about yourself, and 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 you know, just you learn about how an entire society, you know, entire society. I mean, this isn't anything new, but it is. I think unless you've actually lived in a foreign country and not, not like in a, in an expat enclave, you really understand how an entire societies are built based on completely different assumptions, completely different values than the one in which that you were born and raised. You know, yeah. it's, it, and it allows you to see outside yourself a bit. Cause I think it's one of the hardest things to do. I think as people is to see outside of ourselves. And we know what we know. We live, we, you know, we only can see, you know, our own lives. But it was definitely, it was an amazing experience. Istanbul is an uh, endlessly fascinating city. Also incredibly infuriating times too. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, 15 million people packed in this beautiful place with amazing food, amazing culture. And it's just, the traffic is, is crazy. And, you know, there's Turkish bureaucracy and all these things. And uh, so in a way, it's definitely, a, it, it does, it does forces you and it gives you a, a much broader perspective and a deeper perspective if you if you follow it into life. Yeah, it's interesting. When you were saying that, I was I was actually went back to picturing the people working behind the two-way mirror or the one-way mirror. And, and and it's almost like you're looking at yourself or you're looking at your own culture from a distance. And you do get to you get to sort of see how people operate or how you operate or how your city or culture operates. But being in a different place. Did you ever get sort of nostalgic for Chicago when you were in some of these other places? LA, is the because that was the first place I'd ever lived outside Chicago. So I felt nostalgic for uh, Chicago con almost constantly. And, but also part of that, I look back and I realized that was just me learning about what I can live with and what I can live without. You know, and you, these things that you often think about too. And that was another, and that was thing that was also brought home to me too, really about living in Istanbul 
was there are things we think, oh gosh, I could never live without, you know, this, or I can never live without, you know, you know, in Chicago, you know, there's, there are more independent hot dog stands than there are, you know, McDonald's and Burger Kings combined. You think, oh, I can never live without a Chicago hot dog. Well, actually I <laughs> might lose my Chicago card for this, but yes, I can actually live without, you know, you find out there are things that you think you are attracted to or, or so attached to and that you're not. And that there are things you definitely miss you know, yeah. and I think so. In a way, you're you're learning about yourself, right? Do you romanticize the the city at all? Chicago, yes and no. I think Chicago is a romantic city, but I also think Chicago. The problems of Chicago are the problems of America. It is still probably the most segregated city. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. in the nation, its politics are. Uh, I said before, they are. They can be brutal and in your face. Yeah, and crushingly so. And uh, you know, just the there's a map that was going around I saw showing the contrast of the neighborhoods that were getting the vaccine, you know, the vaccination rates for, for who was getting the vaccine. Yeah. And then contrast with the map of the neighborhoods with the highest COVID infection rates or and mortality rates. And those of us who know the city can tell you that it's basically like the Gold Coast, Lincoln Park, the wealthy, mostly white neighborhoods that are getting the vaccine right. and you know the poor you know the west side and the south side black neighborhoods that are under vaccinated at this point and they're the ones that have suffered the worst you know during the pandemic and so that to me so i can never quite ever romanticize chicago there are things i absolutely love and adore about the city and i think that make the city so unique and so wonderful but at the same time that you know the the long history of racism you know in the city is just you, you can't escape it and we shouldn't escape we need to be confronted does it I mean, does it does that kind of thing make its way into your your novel or yeah i touch on it i mean there's a there's a character in the in the one of the supporting characters who really wants to make chicagoese you know like some sort of official language and you know the main character robert's like you know this, this is ridiculous and you're even what you're also talking about is basically just the the accent that the white ethnics use Right. I mean, this is the thing, you know, I mean, I that the classic Saturday Night Live skit with the super fans, you know, speaking, you know, going thuples, thuppers, eating <laughs> right? sausage, yeah. you know, I mean, that that accent is but it's but it's mostly the white ethnic accent. And that's the you know, and again, so when you say it, it's one thing to to. It's funny. I mean, it is funny. And I, you know, my members of my family speak that way. And you know, still a lot of people talk that way. But at the same time, that is definitely one, only one facet of the city. Right. You know, and I think it, it ignores Black and, and Latinos. Yeah. So yeah, I want to switch gears a little bit here. So one of the things I like to explore are the voices, either external or internal voices that that either keep us on track or send us off the rails uh, in terms of our creativity. And you can, you can, you know, you can think about the L as you, as you, as, as your metaphor, if you want. So what were those voices like for you as you were working on the novel? I'd hear the character, the character narrating character voices, you know, what, what, what ends up becoming the dialogue. And so, you know, kind of them insisting on, on themselves. So like when I hear Robert talking, I can hear his voice distinct. When I hear Elise, when, when Elise is talking, I hear her voice distinctly. And it's almost like, so this, sometimes it's a multitude of voices. With Chicago time, it was definitely a multitude of voices that were talking at me. 
Okay. I was trying to figure out where, where they work, you know, where they fit in or, or, you know, are they worth exploring? Where are they going? And for me, I tend to, I tend to hear dialogue and sometimes I see image, Im, you know, imagery, but yeah. And it's hard to know. And there were some voices, you know, or ideas that I had that I'm like, okay, this is just too off the wall. I can't do this. This doesn't even fit. But what about, but what about maybe voices is the wrong word to, to use for, for this, but, but I'm thinking about the people who either, or the, the ideas or things that either get in your way and say, no, you oh, can't do this. Right. Uh, you should just knock it off and, and, and go do something else. Or the, or the voices that are like, no, you got this. You can, you can do this. What, what was that like during this process? Yeah. Like who is going to believe, who's going to want to read anything about some, that's a very Chicago thing. And, 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 and you know, I went back and forth on that, honestly. <sighs> But my answer was like, well, damn it, there's so many damn books written about New York by proud New Yorkers, <laughs> so many books written by proud Angelinos or, you know, proud Parisians, you know, for God's sakes. I mean, Chicago needs to have, you know, more books written by proud Chicagoans or people who are proud of Chicago. And again, I satirize the city. I mean, I'm not romanticizing the city. I mean, but I wanted to write about the city stealing from its history and pulling on pulling on some of those threads and to use it people's sense of how chicago feels or at least a part of the city feels you know i think you know chicago is just too big for any one book to capture i think like any city right yeah right i mean you know i think cities are often countries unto themselves when they get to a certain size you know they are just too diverse i mean together they make you know the the cacophony somehow <laughs> merges into an identity and i don't know how that quite works i mean but it does sometimes <laughs> sometimes i still think chicago's a little a little balkanized but yeah so i think that's true i mean i thought you know what i but and i also thought i want to write this it was dear to my heart in a lot of ways you know because i i still love the city i still have some my family that live you know in and around there and so yeah i just i wanted some some ways i wanted to write this as a love letter to to the city there are, I think, if I if I remember correctly, ninety three chapters. <laughs> Some are very short, though. Some are really short. <laughs> right, right, right. And I was gonna, I wanted to ask you about that. They're very, like, little snapshots of of times and places and dialogue and so forth. How did? Why did you go that route with this? I think for for Chicago time, it would allow me to jump and kind of keep up the pace, and also kind of keep it light. Because it allowed me to have kind of, I don't want to say, I think some of the chapter titles are funny. And I wanted, I wanted that humor. I didn't want the humor. I wanted to keep up the pace and the humor. And it also allowed me to, to move from, say, one character to another or one piece and make it easy for the reader. It also helped me too, because to, I had all these, like I said, when I was talking earlier, when I kind of misunderstood your question about voices, there were so many little voices. And it would allow me to kind of put them in their little place and allow them to flourish, do its thing, and then move on to the next thing. Allow that little section, you know, that character to have their journey move on and keep going. Yeah, and 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 the style actually reminds me of Chicago in certain in very in very specific ways. And the two things that kind of popped into my head right away were too much light makes the baby go blind. <laughs> I don't, oh know if you, <laughs> I don't know if I you remember that, that, which was 30 plays in 30 minutes or something. No, six, was 60 it? minutes. Yeah. 60. 30 plays in 60 minutes. 30 That's plays in 60 amazing, minutes. Amazing, yep. amazing thing. So it kind of reminded me of, of that as I was, as I was going through it. And also second, you know, also second city in a way, just the, 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 the vignette style, you know, very quick, 
kind of, and then blackout and then on to the next thing. And so, you know, I get the pace. It's very Chicago in, in that style. It seems to me. I don't know if Thank that... you. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that too much light because I, when we lived there, we saw too much light mixed baby go blind several times, and I just I'm always just floored at the talent that people those comedians had, those actors had. You know, it's hard enough to I think in some ways what they were doing was even more difficult, <laughs> right? Coming at something engaging for two minutes and yeah. have it be compact and whole in yep. that two minutes. Yep, I just. Yeah, and every week they had to get whatever, whatever, the roll whatever the you dice. roll, the roll of the dice depended, like it would determine how many new, you know, new skits you had to come up with for the next step for the following week. So, yeah. yeah. Set up in, the, in a theater above a funeral home. Yeah. Up there in Andersonville, <laughs> right there in the corner of Foster and, is that Clark? Now you're, now you're, now you're pushing my memory. Uh, or Ashland. <laughs> I can't remember if it was Ashland or not. Yeah. Oh gosh. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I saw that, I saw that in the, in this piece, it, you know, I, I thought of that. Oh. So I'm also a firm believer that, that everyone has interesting stories to tell. Right. And, and personally, I, I like those stories. I mean, you know, hence when I thought of starting a podcast, I wanted to hear other people's stories. I, you know, I'm in, I enjoy doing, you know, I enjoy listening and, and, and doing this kind of thing. Right. Someone who's written a novel, what advice would you give people who would would like to get started or maybe think they have a story to tell or something along those lines? Just start and don't judge yourself too hard. <laughs> Harshly, I should say. Someone said, a friend of mine I talked about, it's like, you can't think out a novel. You can't even think out a story, any kind of story. You have to write it. And sometimes it's a, really an act of discovery, a constant discovery, day after day after day of sitting there and writing however you do that if you do it with you know legal pads or you do it with composition notebooks as i do i start with or if you're doing it with a word processor or you know there are people who still love you know older writers love their typewriters you keep writing and you you know eventually the story i mean I, as easy to say the story will come to you i mean you still have to think about it but i i, I often find that when I'm stuck, often it's because I'm, I'm judging things too harshly, especially in the beginning, especially when you, you don't even know if what you're thinking about is going to coalesce into something that large. Yeah. What are, uh, so in terms of your, the way you go about things, are you more of a, do you, do you plan it out and outline and know exactly where things are going? Oh, it doesn't wish. sound that way. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I mean, I mean, with Chicago time, I kind of knew that I wanted these two reluctant lovers to meet and that they eventually would get together some way. Yeah. But that was it. And I didn't know how all these disparate pieces, these different voices were always all going to coalesce. And it was a constant, constant work of discovery. Whereas the project I'm, I'm now trying to push that I finished, that I trying to query agents on was very different. I had this rough idea, started with something silly and then I didn't know how it was going to end because I really didn't understand. I, I didn't know where the journey was going to take the narrator and the people he was with in that journey. And I really needed to think it out. It really took me several, I mean, many, many drafts. Even when I had a, a complete draft, it took a while <laughs> to find, to find my way through that character and that character's journey and how that character would then tell the reader about that journey. Do the characters ever surprise you? Do all something the that <laughs> okay. all the time. And I think, yeah, I mean, you're like, oh, you know, there are times I think I can't believe they did that. But if you, I, I think if you, after, especially after a while, sometimes I think there's two things that happen. One, for whatever reason, you just have the character 
that that voice is just there so that whenever a situation is, they just kind of do their own thing and it just comes out. And there are other times it takes a while to figure out who they are and what they're doing and really feel them. And once you do that, then that that happens. You then yeah. you can almost I want to say you stop you stop thinking so much and just start feeling and kind of you're kind of as a writer you're kind of going along with that character. But that comes from sometimes you have to think about and actually write out like you know where did this character come from? What is their class? What is their race? What is their you know what experiences shape them? How they react to something out in the world. How much backstory do you do? Sometimes more, I would say probably more than I want because a lot of times you end up writing stuff and you don't realize it is backstory until you try to put together and you realize, oh, the story doesn't really start back there. It starts over here. And it's not that what you wrote is bad. It's just not usable for the story. But what, you know, you realize it informs the character and in ways that you realize once you cut it out that, oh, okay, yeah, I can see that this here, this event here has a little thing over here and you can see the effect. You don't need to know the whole story. You just, you, you get enough of it over there. You mentioned earlier that you have a Kobo. Yep. Okay. And, and I just want to make sure people can find your novel. And so how is it, how is it available? It's available on Amazon in both print and Kindle. Also on Kobo is in a digital format and on Smashwords. I'm trying to think. Oh, in the Apple, I, the iBooks store. I, okay. Is it iBooks? Yeah. Okay. So did you self-publish through Smashwords? Yep. What Smash was that like? Amazon. It was, it was fine. I mean, I think my, my back, my, this is one of those cases where my background as a technical writer helped me. I understood publishing. Didn't understand publishing, you know, in fiction, but I understood publishing enough to understand how to, how to format everything in a file properly. Okay. Without, without mistakes, you know, and because a lot of it is that. And then the tricky part is getting an ISB, getting ISB numbers, designing a cover, getting the cover set up, one for digital and one for print. The print's mm-hmm. a little more complicated. But I think my background, my background in technical writing definitely helped me. All right, good, good, good. And it seems to be doing, at least the, the reviews that I saw on Amazon seem to be very, very complimentary. So, so that's nice. That Congratulations nice. on that. Please. And, and you've got, you said you're working on something new or you're done. You're done with I'm something. Done. I'm happy with it. I just need, I'm trying to, this time I'm trying to find an agent. I tried to find an agent with that one. I got with Chicago time and I, I would get these rejections. I'd actually get an agent interested and they would say, oh, this is really enjoyable, but I, you know, I, you know, I, I you know, I like it. And we get these, comp, it was like these complimentary rejections. <laughs> And it was kind of frustrating. I just said, well, you know, and this was at the height of, it seemed like when self-publishing was, I don't know, it's still very popular to do, but it seemed like at the time it was very new and very exciting. And I thought, you know what, I will try it. No, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it. I'm happy. I'm happy with the book. I'm happy with how it did. I mean, obviously I'd love to sell millions of copies, like just about any other writer, but how did you advertise? Like, how did you market it since you were all on your own with that? Mostly through word of mouth and friends. And I had a blog at the time that I blogged, you know, excerpts of and talked it up with other, you know, bloggers that I was friendly with. And that was how I did it. And at the time, because I really couldn't afford an ad campaign. And I think that, <laughs> yeah, I did it on the, on the cheap. I mean, I would say, yeah, if you're my, my advice to figure yourself publish is make sure you have an ad budget. At the time we just, we just couldn't afford and do you want to do you want to tease the the new novel at all? I would love to. I mean, the working title is the Istanbul Workaround. 
Oh, look, travel works its way yes, back in. Travel works out. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully I can find, I'm hoping that, I, I know, I think, again, this is another novel that I, I really love and I, I really hope it, it can be out there in the world. I do too. I do too. Because from, you know, uh, from what I've seen so far, and you've given away the ending, and now I'm very upset with you, but uh, <laughs> no, it's good. I, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. And I am, I, you know, I'm, I'm originally from the suburbs of Chicago. So... Oh, which suburb? Uh, Brookfield. Brookfield. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead and say it. I know. I know. Everybody knows the zoo. It's just funny because people ask me, and I tell people from North, like, they're like, where? I'm like, okay, between Moe's Park, Stone Park, and Franklin Park, and just south of O'Hare. I mean, it's... <laughs> Because no one's ever heard North Lake. And then like, well, how to get the name? Like, it's where North Avenue and, and, and Lake Street meet. That's the reason it's named North Lake. I kid you not. Not that there's a lake anywhere near there. And there is no lake. Yeah, there's no lake. That's the other thing I have to tell people too. There was a reservoir behind King Arthur Apartments that we used to ride our bikes around, but that was about it. All right. So, uh, so we'll, we'll wrap it up. I want to, I want to thank you for, for coming on and, and, and remember that you can find Richard's book on Amazon, both in print and digitally. Uh, you can find it on Smashwords, Barnes and Noble and Kobo. So if you have any yep. kind of digital reader, there you go. Yep. You're all set. All right. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. And well, uh, this is great. I was, great. it was really great, great meeting you. you. Yeah, yeah. All right. Take care. Take care.